G'day everybody. On today's episode of Sales Stories Raw and Real, we're doing it a bit different. We're talking to Julian Doyle, who has been in the construction industry for over 30 years. From his time as apprentice carpenter on a project in Martin Place in the mid 80s, from Sydney to Vietnam, Dubai, and back to Australia. Julian shares his experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly about the industry. It's a bit different in that we don't talk about business development or selling, but I think it provides wonderful insights into the machinations of the types of organizations that we all try and sell to from time to time. I hope you get a lot out of it. I certainly did. Enjoy. Sales Stories, Raw and Real is a podcast series designed to help people in business development, whatever their level, by learning from the experiences of others. We'll be talking about the salespeople they've met, led and worked with and share their insights into what we need to do more of and less of. You'll hear the very best and worst of people's experiences to help you recognise the traps that we've all fallen into, get through them and out the other side, having learned what you needed to along the way. G'day everybody. Today I'm with Julian Doyle former director of Icon Constructions. G'day, Julian. G'day, Charlie. Thanks for having me here today. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks for joining us. Julian, can I just start by asking you to, to talk through your background and uh, perhaps um, over the last 20 or so years and what, what you like about the, the construction game and, and how you ended up in it? My history kicks back to cadetship starting in late 80s with A.W. Edwards. So I think the old man was a, he was a property manager for the Commonwealth Bank and a frustrated builder. So he dealt with builders throughout his career and decided that it was far better being on that side of the fence than, than actually from within the bank. That was his view. So I um, was pretty much run straight into a company called A.W. Edwards. And I did a cadetship with those guys over at Sailors Bay Road. Yep. And that's, they're an awesome business and they, they ran an I think the best cadetship program in town and it's one that I've tried to emulate later on in life. So I spent my first seven years um, undertaking a part-time degree at the cadetship with Edwards and they, they're an old school builder. So their aim um, is all about the fundamentals of building, you know, so not about being a manager, but actually being a builder and being able to understand the uh, process from estimating design through to construction, detail, finalization, whatever, whatever it might be, but they, they ran you through every element of the business, and I don't think there could be a, you know, a, a better start yeah. in the industry. What were your early learnings from that? What what, what do you recall now after uh, some 35 years? What do you recall as jumping out at you the most? I think the, um, the ability to have to deal with different people. You know, so the construction industry is made up of, of all sorts of personalities, and I think on my first day, I had, um, I was, my first year of my cadetship, I was on the tools, um, working as an apprentice carpenter. Yeah, right. And so my first job was was in Martin Place, and and Mark Whitmore was the site manager of that particular job, and um, he put me with a carpenter. There's an old Greek guy called Harry Koutsagarnas, and Harry told me um, in no uncertain terms that he wasn't happy to have me, <laughs> and. Um, and then asked me where my effing hammer was and where's my effing tool bag or tool kit 
Yeah, when you come fresh out of school and you're dealing with, you know, a 60-year-old crusty Greek carpenter who, who is angry, it's quite confronting. You know? <laughs> okay. So it's, it's dealing with that sort of personality. And then, you know, one of the, one of the labourers was a big guy, Ronnie Milroy, I remember, dragged me across the road on about day three to have, you know, I think he had about six schooners at Smoko. And um, so I, I reckon I was, I was half cut on one and a half and um, <laughs> having to go back to work and... <laughs> And so completely unacceptable practices um, of today. But I think it was that immediate impact of you're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, yeah, that's that strikes me. And plus it was hard. You know, we're up, you're working long days in the construction industry, you know, as much as the, the, the CFMEU continue to bang on about um, the guys working hard. You know, we, we, we're often critical of saying, okay, well, they're well paid, but... They work hard, you know. Mm. It's a, it's a it's a fact that it's a hard day slog when you're um when you're a tradesman when you're a CW typically yeah, in the yeah. construction industry. So those two things works hard. There's a, a a cross section of people that um that you need to get your head around very quickly and be able to relate to. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know. So that was my starting. Good starting. Early, good early lessons those ones because oh, sure. we'll, we'll come back to that. And what was next? So yeah, so I was seven years there and then. I was always interested in, in getting overseas somewhere, so I um, actually joined Transfield, and and it was really as soon as I became a project manager, I thought, okay, I'm now in a, a transportable position, where um, you're tradable as a project manager, and I I took up a job with Transfield over in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Yeah, right. And that was the early nineties. <clears throat> yeah, it was the early nineties. There were seven million people in Ho Chi Minh in that at that time. So I was ninety six, actually mid nineties. Um, and there were there were seven thousand expats, so seven thousand foreigners in seven million people. So, you know, you go days without seeing another um, foreigner. Yeah, and, right. um, yeah, bit of a. So, so can I just say that I, I I was aware of A.W. Edwards, and and that was probably in the middle of the Halcyon days, and and Transfield probably the same. Yeah, definitely Transfield. And look, Edwards have had a long, um, a good long run. They're they're a, they're an awesome business today you know recently mm. been bought, bought by Boyks out of France so um you know they've got one of one of the great things about Edwards is their retention ability you yeah. know and so half their half the guys working at Edwards would have been there you know in excess of 10 years and there'll be a third that have been there in excess of 25 years you know so yeah. so when you can retain that sort of talent um it gives you consistency and it gives you reliability and as a builder that's what you want yeah so you know, would be reinventing the wheel constantly. So, yeah, Vietnam, that was really interesting. And, and you know, I think that taught me that there's different ways of skinning a cat. So labour is, is cheap in, in Vietnam and and you're actually, you're back to first principles on how to build something because the rank and file don't actually know how to do it. And yeah. so you're bringing in unskilled labour to undertake tasks and, you know, and the decision may be, I'll bring in a, um, a 40 tonne excavator to bring to dig a hole or maybe I'll bring in a hundred guys, yeah. you know? And so <laughs> yeah, there's a different spin on, on how things are addressed. And, um, you know, that their work ethic is, is unbelievable. Um, so. What did you build in Ho Chi Minh City? We built the Sheraton Hotel and yeah, apartments. Okay. But yeah, that was, that was a real, a real eye opener for me. And, you know, it, it, I suppose taught me two things. One is, yeah, building's building wherever you are. There's just different, different ways of doing it, but ultimately it's one block on top of another. Yep. You know, and there's a very clear process and it's a very clear 
planning requirements that you need to have in place and, and you know, be disciplined in your risk management, but all that is exactly the same. Um, but what really stuck out to me in, in Vietnam is, you know, you, you're um, dealing with people that can't speak English. So your ability to communicate your message is, is paramount. And so it teaches you to really ram home that message so that there's no confusion, yeah, you know. Right. And so sometimes, you know, we're complacent. You tell someone to do something, you think it's all understood. And um, you've really got to get the feedback and the feedback that they know exactly what they're doing to keep your confidence that it's been conveyed correctly. Yeah, you know? right. So, yeah. so um, you know, I, I, um, I had a, a good few years over in, in Ho Chi Minh and, and got to know the region as a result. But yeah, that was that was good fun and really impactful, you know, mm. time in my life. So um, we went from there. I joined Lend Lease back in Sydney. So I um, came back into a big job in in town, which was which was again a, a good experience, and that that was a little bit different again. In that you know we were building Aurora Place, and we had Renzo Piano, who was a Pritzker Award winning architect. And so, you know, a global rock star on, on the design yeah. and the design world. So that was next level and, you know, an experience that, that I'll never forget working with. You know, we get, sometimes we, we put shit on the architects about being too precious. And this is a guy that has literally built the, the most iconic buildings around the world. You know, a couple of things stand out. One is we had this list as long as your arm of unresolved design issues. And um, we couldn't actually reach agreement with the guys on the ground here who were representing Renzo Piano. And so when Renzo came in, we were workshopping through these details and I'm saying, we can't, Renzo, we, we just can't do it. We can't afford to do it. And as well as the complexity of trying to repeat that detail mm. you know, um, time and time again, it's just, it's just he, he was very practical and he said, Julian, my, um, my father was a builder and his Italian accent and, um, and he, he gave his own guys a bit of a caning because he said, guys, if they can't build it or it's not commercial, it's not good architecture. So for us to be good architects, we need to come up with the right solution that the builder can work with. And, and all of a sudden we just you know, cut through all these issues. And, nice. and um, yeah, I, I was super impressed with, with his ability to get a good outcome. You know, nonetheless, I love but, that. Make it work because he's. If it's not commercial, it's not good architecture. Yeah, great, great, right. A yeah. good architect can make it work. And you know, I love the um, irreverence of Australia. So this guy was, as I say, he's a global rock star. We went and had lunch, and he was talking to me about two days prior he'd been having lunch with Bill Clinton, uh, <laughs> and um, he had his entourage there, and we we're out at, at Permastil Isa, which is a facade factory out at the back of Liverpool somewhere there and his so he had his his limo and, and his entourage with him anyway the, the car broke down so we had to call him a cab so after lunch you know we're waiting out the front and for, for his taxi and the car pulls up he goes g'day mate I'm looking for a Renzo hey is there a Renzo here I'm chasing a Renzo got a cab from Renzo <laughs> and, and he puts his hand I'm thinking yes that is me everyone's horrified at this <laughs> this classic Australian twang looking for some guy called Renzo yeah, so that, that was a bit of fun. I, I went with Len Lease down to Melbourne and worked on the Docklands project yeah, down, right. down there. Yeah. You know, that's that's different again because of the union, uh, you know, yeah. that controls the, the construction industry um, in Victoria. And, you know, at that time it was very much uh, Bill Oliver, who was the, the, the key secretary, state assist, assistant secretary down there. And, and 
and so you know you've got a, a different way of, of working down there and you're probably a little bit um, faster sharper smarter whatever it is because you've got to be right or else you get closed down you get yeah, shut down sure, you get yeah. impacted yeah. Um, so yeah so I had a, a probably four or five years down there I was down there with Len Lease joined another builder developer um, to start their operation called Sunland that was in Victoria as well and then um, you know ultimately with Sunland who are big in the Gold Coast but they did some pretty impressive buildings around the country so I looked after they, they built under my license if you like so I ran their construction um, and you know they have the likes of um, Q1 up in the Gold Coast, yeah, right. Circle on Cabell um, and you know we went and Versace of course we had the, the rights to develop Versace yeah, right. so so that involved us with with the house of Versace, and um, then I went across to Dubai to build the Versace Hotel over in Dubai. Jeez. And another, we built another Q1, if you like, called D1, the sister building of Q1, so another eighty-story building over in in Dubai's. Um, so yeah, I've been a bit of a wandering minstrel, and then you know every place has its challenges. But the uh, the Dubai, I think I arrived in Dubai the day. Um, who was it? One of the big banks um, went under at the start of the GFC. So I was, I was being bowled over with the rush of people who were walk, who were leaving Dubai, leaving their cars in the car park and that. And, and yeah, that's where I, I landed at the start. Of, that's right, Lehman Brothers. When they just went under, that was yeah. the day we arrived in Dubai. Um, but we managed to make it work. And, you know, we, those two buildings are now are complete, of course. And um, Took a bit longer than necessary, but 2012 is when I returned back to Australia, and yeah. um, and I started uh, the Icon business here in New South Wales. Yeah. And so, you know, I left that in the middle of last year to um, just have a breather. What um, what has your 30 years and all of those different experiences taught you about building as a as an industry and as a career? Yeah, I, I think it's um. What it has taught me is it's people. Our, our business is one that, that trades in people, in essence. You know, mm. so when you get things wrong in construction, you get it really wrong, you know, and, and, and so the impact, you know, one, there's a, a life safety um, issue that exists the whole time. Two is it's time's money, you know, and these are big yeah. projects. And so you talk about any day that something doesn't happen that's on this critical path of your program, um, you are going to finish a day later and there is significant costs associated with that. And mm. so, you know, two things, getting the right people and having those people, making those people accountable, you know. Mm. So for me, it's always been high on my priorities that, that you'll make people accountable so that the pressure is on them to actually make decisions. When you're, when you're not accountable and you're happy to sit back, when you are account accountable, you've actually got to step up. Mm. And, um, you know, I've always given people as much rope as, as possible, putting in place the right safety nets. But, um, yeah, it's my greatest um, undoings, if you like, have been as a result of the people asleep at the wheel or not caring or, or mm. um, you know, not capable. And you haven't yeah. seen through that. Yeah, yeah. We might get to that in a minute. What's been your proudest achievement as a builder? Or, or your or proudest career achievement, do you reckon? I honestly think my proudest achievement is we had the unfortunate experience of Opal Tower. So that was that was one of 
our buildings. And so I got notification Christmas Eve that, that there was a, a, a structural issue on Opal Tower. And so I had to attend to it, you know, literally Christmas morning. And um, so I was down there. 2019, yeah? 2018. Right, 2018. And um, so I was down there on Christmas morning. I called up my HR manager and asked her if she'd come down mid-morning. On there Christmas Day. On Christmas Day. And so we were dealing with a lot of pissed off residents. We had more media um, around the building than, than any other place in the country. Mm. And we had to... You know, the key for us was communicating what's going on and keep the residents up to date and look after the residents. That was our, our starting position. And so I needed support. So my operations manager was there on Christmas Day. My HR manager, Jennifer Drennan, she turned up an hour after I gave her a phone call. And actually, we had set up a, call it a war room, call it an operational room to be able to deal with what we had to deal with and, and investigate because mm. the amount of attention that Opal Tower was getting was off the charts. And so Boxing Day, I reckon I had another 25, 30 Icon employees. And by three days later, I think we topped out at about 50 guys had come in to help. Mm. And, um, and so under no obligation, um, I wasn't um, banging the table calling for people to come in. They volunteered. Yeah. And so that's when you know you've got an awesome business, when you've got that sort of loyalty. Yeah. And, um, and these guys, you know, lost their holidays, you know, that whole Christmas period as we're in, embroiled dealing with the, um, the situation that was April Tower. Yeah. So I think, you know, you, you try and take a positive out of every difficult situation. Um, yeah, I couldn't be prouder of, of the company that I'd been instrumental in building when they all of their own volition put their hand up to help. What do you put that down to, mate? Put that down to a culture that that is created where, you know, ultimately there there is a friendship that exists mm. within the business. There is oh, what's the right word? I I think it's it's important people know what their jobs are, but their roles aren't defined. If if maybe I I use that as an example. So I would expect anyone to help everyone in the anyone in the business mm. and whether it's your task to or not whether that sits within your role description or yeah, not, yeah, yeah. you know and so that's a big part of how how we run the business a big part of you know i will um do whatever i can and whether it's sitting down with a foreman to, to write a program or it's unpack the dishwasher in the in the office you mm. know and or it's bring copies to someone that's having a meeting try and create that we're all here to dig in and help each other culture I can't remember who said it, but it was, if you want to lead somebody, you need to serve them. And I think that's what you're saying there. I think the culture, the friendship came from your leadership and the fact that you're willing to do whatever was required yeah. at whatever time it was, a, it was required. Yeah, so look, I'm certainly not an ivory tower um, sort of guy and I've seen a lot of that sort of yeah. individual. Yeah. Um, so, you know, your business is your business and your business is, is ultimately digging that hole, you know, designing this element. And if you can rub shoulders with every one of those, you know, people undertaking those tasks, you should have something to offer. And I like to think that, that I can impart advice and, and I can help. Mm. And, and um, by virtue of involving yourself with everyone at every level, 
yeah, that helps to build the relationship too. You know, so you're never un you're never removed from the process. You're not unattainable for people. You're very approachable, and because you you've sat beside them to do the job with them. Yeah. You know, what did it teach you about that experience with your staff? It just it taught me how lucky I am. I, I think that was um, the overwhelming emotion. You know, I, I was feel it reduced to, to tears at time um, at, at how fortunate I was because you know you, you run it again in a business where you don't have um, that sort of support base and you are um, you're in a whole lot of pain by yourself <laughs> it's a lonely lonely world at the top yeah, yeah, um, yeah when you're not supported by an incredible bunch of people then it would have been I, I can't imagine it mm. I can't imagine how difficult that would have been it was a difficult situation made e not made easy but made less difficult because of the incredible support and look it wasn't just our people we had we had the cfmbu um ring up and say what do you what do you need you know yeah, right. what can we, we one thing we can do is provide labor um how can we help you is that right that's we're, great isn't know, it? A, a, a conga line of uh, subcontractors what can we do to help yeah. you know and so you know one thing is is the personnel you have working for the business. The other is the the obviously the the respect that we have in the industry, um, where there's other associations and subcontractors that are all willing to and other builders. You know, um, the guy at Hutchies ring me within you know an hour of of seeing me on telly. <laughs> um, to again say, what can you do? Yeah, pretty. So as an industry, collegiate here. industry, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Work right. together when someone's got a problem. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough, but it's um. It's caring in an interesting way. It's on its way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, we're, we're through that. No, that's, but it was certainly an impactful time. Yeah. And one that taught me a few things. Oh, I bet. So in terms of, um, you know, just a bit of, a biz, I guess, a business development discussion. Yep. What would you say have been the good things that you've seen from salespeople selling to you as a, project manager, project director, construction manager, company director over the years, be it, be it a product or be it some kind of service. What, what, how do people sell to Julian Doyle? Yeah, I think it, um, it always starts with a, uh, it's a pretty bumpy run, you know, yeah. so I wouldn't say I'm difficult to deal with, but I'm, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to be rolled by bullshit. Yep. Um, and, and so having a, a, an honest approach where people take responsibility you know for for we have we have issues every day we have issues in construction you know and so you know i could use two examples one you know where there's recruitment involved in and you get someone that sells you a, a resource and mm. you know the information that they've provided and the background that they've they've investigated whatever it actually um turns out to be bullshit you know because that resource is, is not what they're painted to to be, yeah, you know, and so and that costs. As I was saying, yeah, people cost. There can be a different, couple of different ways that, that that recruiter may may respond to it. One is, yeah, we got it really wrong here, and say our mistake. We will, your next one, your next one's free, and I'm going to personally make sure it's going to be, work for you. You know, you get that sort of approach, or mm. or we got lied to, you mm. know, and say or can our responsibility. Mm. Um, you have, you know, that's in a people business. If you talk about a product business. You know, and, and look, appliances. You know, we've got a lot of apartments, a lot of appliances, and Harvey Norman is, we use Harvey Norman and Wings appliances at 
two businesses and and I think about they're both good businesses that that you have issues where it's the wrong numbers are supplied or whatever it might be or broken not working warranty issues and it it takes a lot of difficult discussion and and hard conversations when things don't work because we're all under pressure and it's how they respond to that and so you know I think you develop your best relationships after um, difficult times you yeah. know and so yeah so we've always or I've always had a view is develop relationships um, as much as possible and get to know someone as much as you can and you know it should be every every start every new person is a blank canvas give them a chance and if you can develop that relationship at a point in time you're going to have to rely on that relationship because you're going to have a tough fucking discussion to happen yeah, yeah, yeah. and so build the relationships during good times and and hopefully they can withstand the tougher times so that you know over a period of time you can withstand anything that's right yeah. you know so and you know i, I reckon with Alan Stevenson, who runs Harvey Norman, we had a very early tough discussion on, on issues that we had. We're good mates today and I, I'd use him on any project moving forward and, and similar with, with, with John Winnie. Yeah, you know, yeah. So these sorts of guys. I, I remember uh, many, many years ago having a, a, a blue with one of my suppliers and he told me he was struggling to tell that he was pissed off and I said, I want you to tell me when I piss you off because then I know we're getting somewhere in our relationship. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and someone told me many years ago, it's not what happens to you, but how you handle it makes all the difference. So I agree that a, a challenge presents an opportunity uh, for, for both parties to improve things. And that's, that's healthy. Yeah, completely, mm. completely. And, you know, we're an industry of confrontation. You've got to actually remember that when you, when you deal with other industries, because we are mm. confrontational and, and we kind of become comfortable in that confrontation. Yeah. And uh, many yeah. other industries don't. Yeah, deal with that as well. We're used to blue and yeah, 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 right. yeah. You, you, you greased in a little as far as having a blue, that's for sure. And um, what's next for Julian Doyle? Well, Julian Doyle's had a um, well, I think I deserve a bit of a break, so yeah, I pulled up stumps in, in middle of last year pretty much, and it was just because I, I think I'd had a pretty intense um, number of years. The kids all finished school and you know, even that in itself was was taxing, you know. So, as a single parent running running the kids through that secondary school, through a, a daughter, through a um, a tough period that every father with a daughter knows. Understands. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was just it's been nice to sit and reflect and and um and start to to plan what is next. And look, what is next? I've I've got a couple of good ideas. You know, they range from continuing to play a role in the construction industry to businesses that are that far from removed from the construction industry, there is no relationship. So the one thing that, you know, the beauty of construction is massive, massively transactional, you know, so we have big projects with, with literally hundreds of contracts mm. in place. Commercial, you need to be very good commercially to be able to deal with sometimes very tricky clients, sometimes very tricky subcontractors. So everyone um, of it, a certain rank within construction needs to be a bit of a bush lawyer and have a, a fairly sound commercial understanding. Yeah. We are risk managers. Um, so it's all about finding out what is the, what's scenario one look like when, when we have something that doesn't play out like it should, what's scenario two going to look like, what's what the contingency 
mm. looked like three, four, five, six, and, and you can't build enough contingencies in when running a, a large construction business. So, so you become an exceptional risk manager. And as I said before, people are what we trade with. So we deal with people. And when you've got that sort of experience, then you can actually go into, you know, many different areas, Definitely. you know, you know so, so we plan to everything to within an inch of its life. And we ensure that we, we get the best out of the people that work with us. And I, was, I, I think um, something else. Yeah, I think that the, the construction industry is really good like that. There's, there's places to go no matter what your skill is, whether it's uh, business development, sales, operations, constructions, HR, IT, there's, there's everything in it. You know? yeah. And, uh, and any, any triathlons in the future, mate, at all? Like, I know you had a crack a few years ago, but... Yeah, well, I like to, to finish on a high. So since I, I, I beat you so convincingly, I, um, I, I don't reckon there is. I reckon I'll, I'll hang the goggles, the runners and the bike up. Um, so, yeah, I re I'm done there. there. Mate, thank you very much for today. I've really enjoyed it. I hope there's... Um, some of the audience have gained some insights and I wish you all the very best for your future, whatever you decide. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. Cheers, mate. Pleasure talking. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, be sure to subscribe in your podcaster so you don't miss a future episode. And whilst you're there, I'd really appreciate if you could take the time to rate and review the podcast. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Charlie.